Welcome to the podcast that teaches you how to transform your life and your business. Here is your host, Rick Hyland, and this is CI for Life. Welcome to another CI for Life podcast. Our purpose on these podcasts is to help you accomplish your financial, spiritual, physical, relationship, and work goals. Today's podcast, we are specifically going to talk about strategies to help you accomplish your financial goals, and in particular, financial freedom or financial security. Okay, today's special guest is Chad Willardson. He's going to help us unpack and discover the strategies around financial freedom and financial security. He's an author of a best-selling book, Stress-Free Money, Overcoming These Seven Obstacles Can Help You Find Financial Freedom. So, Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I know you're calling in from Newport, sunny Newport Beach today, so I appreciate you making the time for us. Absolutely. So, um, Chad, give us a little bit of your background before we jump into these seven strategies. Sure. I spent nine years at Merrill Lynch Wealth Management. Okay. And uh, I built a great career there, but decided it was there was more out there that clients were looking for more independent and objective advice. And so... On the fortuitous date of 11-11-11, oh. I left Merrill Lynch and uh, started Pacific Capital. So we're, we are an independent fiduciary wealth advisory firm. Uh, basically, our mission is to help clients enjoy life by removing their stress about money. So we help entrepreneurs and families really clarify their financial goals. And um, we've been Pacific Capital, so it's been nine years, just over nine years. Mm -hmm. And happy to say that we've grown a lot. So that was my first jump into entrepreneurship. And I've since done a couple of other things. I'm, a, I'm the co-founder of the Draft Sports Complex here in Southern California, where we host really large uh, volleyball, basketball, cheerleading tournaments. And we have club sports teams. We probably have, I don't know, close to four or 500 athletes part of our program, which is kind of cool. And then... I'm the. Uh, I just got elected for my second term as the city treasurer, managing the 350 million dollar portfolio for our city. So awesome. A couple different things going on here, but uh, most importantly, I guess I'm a married father of five. So awesome. I'm a family and, man. And um, you and I were talking beforehand. Uh, congratulations on hitting one of those Amazon categories of number one bestseller. When did the book Thank actually you. come out before we jump in to talk yeah, about it? Yeah, September 29th was when okay. the book launched. Okay, So Very not good. too long ago. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's why we're talking. So I'd love to get your insights. Um, as I mentioned to you, this podcast is for those that are trying to uh, get ideas and insights on how to accomplish their goals. And this is the first one we've done on kind of the financial security, financial freedom one. So... Sure. I'm excited to hear the seven strategies. Why don't we start with, uh, I'm just going to go through the seven that you've got articulated in the book. No clear goals. Tell us about that. Yeah. So but before I jump into that, I will say it's important to understand what financial freedom means if that's where we're headed towards. And, and my definition, uh, being in this industry my whole career, is really it's the absence of worry about money. And so financial freedom is not retirement, in my opinion. It's really the flexibility to, and security and confidence to know that you can afford to do what you need to do without being forced or told to go here or there at a specific time. You know, so that's that's really the goal. It's not an age. 
I think retirement is completely shifted. I almost think retirement per se is a little bit dead. It's kind of like an outdated concept. So financial freedom, I see people really wanting to pursue the things that they enjoy and create an intentional lifestyle to where they're fulfilled, they get energy they from what they do, and they, they no longer stress every day about how they're going to pay their bills. So with that in mind, uh, the first obstacle I see is, is no clear goals. And it's like, imagine uh, packing for a vacation and you go to your closet with your suitcase and you're getting ready to pack that suitcase, but you do not know where you're going to go on vacation. Uh, you don't know when you're going to leave. You don't know how long you're going to be there. And you have no clue of what you're going to do when you get there. It's very difficult to, to know what to pack in that suitcase in that scenario and yet that's how I see most people approaching their financial life is that they don't have a destination they don't have specific things that they actually want to be experiencing and therefore none of their decisions are made with great context so they don't have clarity and as Zig Ziglar famously said it's in the you know cover of my first chapter it says you can't hit a target you cannot see and you cannot see a target you do not have Right. And I feel like that's the biggest obstacle I see, regardless of net worth or, or financial income, is people lack clarity around their goals. Yeah. And I, I imagine, and tell me if there's other examples, but you, in this area, you're talking about goals around um, mortgage pay down or savings or how to increase income. Or is that the type of goals you're specifically uh, suggesting? Those could be included, but not necessarily. They're not okay. all financial goals. Um, many of them actually are are more personal lifestyle goals and it, and it could be um, you know we had someone say that they want to take their children spouses and grandchildren on a special and memorable vacation right. every two years and it was something that they had always dreamed of doing once they got some financial independence and it was something they talked about and they said look now that we're in our 60s we want to make this a tradition and so I said, okay, well, where's the place where you'd like to go? And I said, we'd love to take everyone to Maui. And so we worked through the numbers and we basically attached a financial goal to that yeah. experience, family type legacy goal. And so, you know, we'll see things that are not financial related, but we can help incorporate that into their financial plan. So it could, it could be something that is paying off a mortgage or being debt free or paying for my kids' college expenses. But a lot of times it's something that's more fulfilling or purpose driven than that. And it's our job to help essentially attach some numbers to that and create a plan of how we can make that possible. Love it. Great example. Yeah, big goal, guys. So you're speaking my language and, and uh, not just, as you've said, financial goals, but goals in all areas of your life and of which it takes money to do some of these goals. So uh, true. Great, great example. Okay, financial fast food. Uh, tell me more about that one. That's your second strategy for financial freedom. Yeah, so fast food is really convenient. You know, there's there's a, uh, uh, what's the most popular fast food up there in Utah? I was trying to say. Uh, it's still McDonald's or, uh, Mc, Mc, yeah. Yes, you got McDonald's, you got Krispy Kreme. I'm not going to put Neaters in that category. It's too tasty and fresh, but. Yeah. Let's say you're, you know, McDonald's and, and the In-N-Out Burger and the Krispy Kreme. Like, it's real convenient, but it's not it's not the best source of energy and, and health for you. And yet, 
it's easy and it's convenient and it's cheap. Uh, and that's a lot of the financial noise and the news information that we get comes from sources that are not serving our best interests. So you know, that's that's why I call it financial fast food because fast food is it's popular, it's cheap, the taste is addicting, but the real cost of eating fast food every day never really appears on the menu. And the financial entertainment news media is no different. It's it's your enemy, it's not your friend. If you let it, the media is going to distract you from your goals. It's going to destroy your ability to to really differentiate what's important and what isn't. So the headlines popping up on your phone, on the CNBC app, yeah. you know, the emails, the alerts, a lot of these things have nothing to do with your personal financial decisions and, and really shouldn't be a factor in you making important long-term planning decisions. Oh, I completely agree. I, I got a personal example that I think fits in here. You know, in the middle of this pandemic, Hertz, if you you remember what happened to Hertz and went bankrupt, yep. and then all of a sudden one day in uh, fairly early on in the pandemic got a pop, and uh, and I caught it on the headline while I was working out at 7 a.m. on Jim Cramer and the boys, and Yes, and yeah. it popped for the day, and then absolutely is gone in, in the tank since then. And I've, you know, one of my financial principles as a day trader now is to, by the time you know Jim Cramer and CNBC are talking about it, it's too late. Right. And right. Uh, you're not following a strategy; you're just following your whim or the latest Correct. news. So that uh, I think that fits into your <laughs> don't uh, don't follow financial fast food. Yes, absolutely. We talk about making decisions, you know, the, the, the things in magazines and the news media, they could come out with the top 50 stocks or funds every year and next year it's different and next year it's different and next year it's different and, and yet there's no accountability for that. There's no, right. you can't go back to the magazine and say, hey, I bought those three investment funds and they went down and terrible, terrible timing. Uh, there's There's no one to hold accountable. So I just feel like people often will make extremely big decisions based on information from a neighbor, a friend, a magazine, an article. And if there's no context or planning or exit strategy or goals that really would give you a different perspective on that decision in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to the best investments I have have, you know, been held for a period of time and then when the pop comes you enjoy you know the full benefit of it versus just getting in the easy and cheap ones so yeah sure. I'm so glad you brought up that point okay so another strategy focusing on the wrong number yeah so obstacle number three focusing on the wrong number uh, the quote I use actually is a Stephen Covey quote to start that chapter it says most people spend their whole lives climbing the ladder of success only to realize when they get to the top the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall Yep. And focusing on the wrong number to me, the two the two numbers that people focus on are what is my total portfolio value. So they they pick a round number. They don't know how much they need to save for retirement, but they say I need one million or I need five million or I need ten million, whatever the random savings goal is. Okay. It's better than having no goal at all, but that's not necessarily the number to focus on. And the second number that people focus on is what is my ROI for this particular 12-month period? That I get 8%, 11%, 6%, like what was my ROI? When really the numbers that matter the most have to do with cash flow. How much are you spending and how much 
in passive income can your investments produce? Hmm. Like that's the number, those are the numbers that really, really do matter because they affect your actual lifestyle. And finding those numbers, it, it kind of requires you to dig into your past and your spending and your goals and, and create the most accurate possible estimate for the future of what I need to spend to be essentially happy. You know, what, what does it take to live my lifestyle? And look at the expenses today. Look at what you maybe won't be spending in the future or will be spending. Okay, my kids will be out of the house. My house will be paid off by then. But I'm going to do more traveling. I'm going to do more, more leisure, more entertainment. Um, what are the different things that will come into my my life and how much will that cost? Then you get a clear handle on your cash flow. Then you can make more educated investment decisions. You know, when I talk about investing, I say, there's only two reasons to invest. That's to generate cash flow today or to generate cash flow to, at some point in the future. And so you need to look at the money that you're investing and say when investing is really just delayed consumption. So if I'm, if I'm not spending money today, I'm investing it. I'm delaying the consumption of it. The question then becomes, when do I need to consume that money? When, when does I, when does it need to be available for me to spend? And the longer that time frame is, the more aggressive you can invest those funds because you may have 10, 15, 20 years. If you need the money in one year, it's not wise to say, I'm going to put this money in the stock market and just see how it goes. So I, I have people ask me that all the time, like, hey, if I only have a year or 18 months or two years, like, what's the best way to really make a lot of money? And it's, it's not taking significant risk because you're not giving yourself the time to really work through market cycles. But without a clear plan and a handle on your cash flow, you know, no matter how much you earn, the wheels can fall off. And that's a danger that I think most people, they don't really consider. They just look at the total amount of money that they have saved up. Yeah, that's a really good point. You could, your net worth could be one million, but if you're burning through cash that's he heading you towards, you know, versus the person that has a smaller net worth, but it's actually positive cash flow. Correct. Uh, yeah, I had a surgeon in Newport Beach. What's that? I had a surgeon in Newport Beach come in to meet with us years ago, and he was 58, and he's you know he's making $900,000 a year, doing really well, living living the good life in Newport Beach, and he, here he is saying, I want to retire early. I, want, I was going to retire at 65. I want to retire at 62. So four years out. Okay, well, what does your spending look like? Well, he spends over 20,000 a month. 20 to 25,000 a month. He's got multiple houses, expensive cars in Orange County here. And that's fine, but I hope you saved up enough and come <laughs> to find out he's got, he's got seven to 800,000 in savings. And I'm thinking to myself, like literally, if you just did the math on the back of a napkin, that. you got three, three to four years tops yeah. of, from what you put away. Like your cash flow is being spent. There's no delayed consumption to justify this early expensive retirement. So, you know, he may look and feel good that he's got all these different assets and seven, eight hundred thousand in his bank account, but his his cash flow situation is completely upside down. Good example. Okay, so the fourth obstacle for financial success: biased advice from a financial salesperson. Yeah, most people don't trust us. They don't trust financial <laughs> advisors. We get a bad rap. It's like worse than the uh, auto mechanic guy. Um, no offense to auto mechanics, but I like 
I don't understand anything about cars. I really don't. It intimidates me. Someone could say I need to do $10,000 of repairs, and I would have no idea if he's lying to me. And I think that's how most people feel with financial advisors. They just, they're overwhelmed, intimidated, or, or they just don't know the right questions to ask. And unfortunately, our industry doesn't do much to help. You know, 95% of the advisors don't have an obligation to put clients' interests first. Uh, 65%, this is in the book, 2016 poll by the American Association of Investors, 65% of respondents said they do not trust financial advisors. 2% said they trust them a lot. 15% said a little. So that's pretty pathetic. Uh, it's no secret that Wall Street and the big banks put profits as their number one goal, giving their shareholders an investment return. It's not about, you know, often at expense of uh, what's best for their clients. It's not about always doing what's best for clients. So. I was in that environment. I was at Merrill Lynch for nine years at the big investment bank, and I, I was basically raised in that environment, and then I got out of it. And it's shocking to me the difference of what we can do for people as a fiduciary who's independent versus working at a big bank, a big investment house, a big insurance company. It's just, it's night and day. So I think most people are wary of advisors because They've been sold or pressured to do some insurance policy or some investment fund with commissions, yep. and it left a bad taste in their mouth. And so my part of me loving being on this side of it as a fiduciary is being able to really expose that, expose the conflict of interest, uh, discuss openly the mistrust, and often tell people that they don't need to hire us. We get referrals weekly that I that we turn away and say, you know what, in this situation, you're not ready yet, or you don't need to pay anyone yet, or or let's we can do a financial plan, but you should not be paying an advisor ongoing fees because your, your portfolio isn't complex enough to justify it. So it's great to tell people that, to kind of release that stress for people by saying, you're, you may not need to do all the things that you're looking at paying for right now. And I think that generates a lot of trust and credibility. Yeah, I, I was used, thinking the trust word as well to overcome this obstacle. And I think you're right, the independent side. And, you know, I, I uh, practiced management consulting for 31 years. And the biggest way we develop trust, because the same idea with a client, right? You're going to give us a whole bunch of money and we're going to give you advice. Um, right. And the biggest way is to say no. Uh, that you don't right. need us right now and come back when you have this and this and this, you know, type of thing. So it sounds like very similar in your industry that that is a great tool to build trust. Yeah, and, and one other point on this topic before yep. we move on is that I I think if you're an entrepreneur, well, here's a couple analogies. If, if I'm going to a, if I'm going to hire a personal trainer at the gym, I'm not going to hire the person who's totally out of shape and eats junk food every day and has got, you know, donuts in their pockets. Like, right. I've got five kids. You've got a lot of kids. I'm not going to go get parenting advice from someone who's never had kids. Right. So when you're looking to hire a great fiduciary advisor, I think they should be able to demonstrate some level of financial success themselves. If you're an entrepreneur, they should be an entrepreneur. Like, you should find someone who is experiencing and succeeding in the same areas that you're seeking advice in. So you're not going to someone who's read about it 
you're going to someone who's actually done it themselves. So if I go to a trainer who's extremely fit and healthy and has lost weight, man, I feel way more confident going to them and saying, this person actually has practiced what they're teaching and I can see that it's worked for them and therefore I'm a lot more confident in their advice. Yeah, well said. That's great. Two great analogies. Okay. Number five obstacle for financial freedom, financial success. I'm hesitant on this one, but tell us what the F word means. My mom hates this chapter title. She's like, Chad, you could have chosen anything. And I said, Mom, it gets people's attention. I'm sorry. It does. We're talking about fees. Uh, fees are the number one, one of the number one obstacles to um, investment success that I see people being, people just being taken advantage of, unfortunately, or people being misled. And I, I think, based on my nine years' experience there, that Wall Street likes confusion and complexity. Yes. And they like having 40 pages of documents to sign up to open an account because no one's going to read all the fine print. So I think the Internet has really helped explode the movement towards transparency, but it's also caused a lot of confusion. So people feel like they can't figure out and navigate through the noise and what happens is they end up paying a lot more than they should or paying for things that they don't really need. Um, interesting story, I, I, I was one of the advisors selected to essentially be a potential advisor for an NBA basketball player and I was the only, this was years ago, but I was the only advisor on the group that was getting a pitch, a chance, who had never worked with an NBA player. Mm. So the other the other advisors all have big firms in LA and New York who are managing tons of professional athletes as clients. And so I get to this question in the interview process, and we're talking like 30 to 40 people there. There's coaches, agents family members, uncles, aunts, like everyone is there, the players, parents. And they they say, you know, are you going to, what are some other services, extra services that you can provide? Are you going to pay, are you going to pay the the household bills for for him if, if we choose you as the advisor? And I almost laughed and I said, pay the bills? So what do you mean pay the bills? Like, do you want... Do you want him to be completely dependent and ignorant when he retires from the NBA? Yeah. yeah. And I, I said, so you're telling me all the other advisors, I was the last one to pitch, and I, I said, you're telling me everyone else promised to pay their bills? And I said, how many bills is he going to have? He's in his 20s. I said, like his phone bill, his car bill, his insurance, electricity, like less than 10 bills. I said, if you want me to help him set up auto payments, I could do that, but I, I don't think it's – wise for me to pay his bills or have someone on my team do that and I said are they doing that for free and they said no it's sixteen hundred dollars a month to pay his bills and I said do you know how long it takes to to pay six or seven bills online like that's insanity and they're like well how many NBA players do you manage uh, money for and I said zero and the room was like oh my gosh and I said but money is green, so it doesn't matter what business my clients are in, whether it's playing basketball or or selling dirt, it doesn't really matter. Um, I said, I don't have any clients to go bankrupt. So all the people you just met with, 80% of professional athletes are bankrupt within five years, so obviously whatever they're doing doesn't work. Yeah, let's try something new. 
let's try something new. Let's work yeah. with someone who doesn't have any bankrupt clients. And so yeah. they, fortunately they ended up hiring me and I'm excited to have a couple more athletes now. But I think that the fact that they're, they're trying to charge this guy to pay his bills, eight, 16 to $1,800 a month. So just, so just to tie that into the client, so you're, what you're suggesting there for financial success is to just be very transparent with those that you work with your money on on the exact fees being paid. Is that, is that your recommendation? The recommendation is to seek complete transparency, yeah. to know what you're paying for on everything. Every recommendation you get for any financial decision, insurance, investing, whatever it might be, yeah. You need to know not only the cost, but also the upside, the downside potential. You need to know the potential exit strategy. I see a lot of people get caught up in expensive investments that are more private, you know, private real estate deals, private business deals. And they have, if they want to go back and get their money out a year or two from now, they, there's a good chance that they can't get it out. You know, there are clauses in the contracts that say, if you want to get money out, here's the process. And often it's going to be a discounted number and there's a lot of cost involved. So I just would caution people and say, you really need to understand what you're paying for and how much you're paying. Well, I just want to underline that exit strategy idea. That is, that is, I had Yeah, two... what's the exit strategy? So every time you go into something with your money, you better know exactly all Absolutely. the clauses on how to get out of it. Absolutely. I've had two experiences with selling businesses and one, I had a very clear how to sell it for what exactly, and it had to be, and it worked perfectly. And another one, I still can't get out because it wasn't set up with clarity. So that, that, that advice right there is worth the podcast right there, Chad. Thank you. That, that is such oh, an awesome. important point in any investment you have because it's not always clear uh, the exact exit strategies particularly real estate or business uh, agreed purchase. agreed it's not clear and so you go in with this optimism yeah it's but a if something happens a friend, yeah it's a, a friend. friend it's a friend of a friend and they invested too and then but at some point you want your money out and now it's like well wait a second I I don't know if I read through that part yeah yeah oh I and I would even say and I'm I do have a wonderful son-in-law that's a lawyer but yeah uh, I my lesson also is just make sure if you don't understand the contract get somebody that does so Agreed. you clearly know whether it be your independent advisor, legal or financial. So, man, you got on one of my hot points there. So thank you. Uh, the F word turns <laughs> out that that's a really good point. Uh, yes. <laughs> tell yes. mom. Uh, that's right. I will. <laughs> number six, taking on too much risk. This is a good one or not enough you have in brackets. Correct. So risk is it's loosely defined and loosely understood. But what I see often is people coming into us and their investments don't match their goals. Their financial decisions, their financial life on paper is not in, in alignment with who they are and what they want out of life. And so I see them taking way too much risk okay. and gambling the farm. Uh, we had I had someone call in last week who they essentially had lost over three to $400,000 twice on two separate deals. One of them was a private land investment with uh, some neighbors of theirs that had gotten into it through their financial person. And another one was a private business that completely went south. And unfortunately, 
that six to eight hundred thousand represented over half of their retirement funds, and they had really kind of gotten greedy. So th these are people who are conservative financially. They're they're close to retirement, or one of them, one of the spouses retired, and it's just it's just sad to see it. Too much risk. And then there's others who have money in the bank that's earning 0.0% today, and they're not taking enough risk. They're not investing for growth. They're yeah, simply letting their money lose yeah. value to inflation. So. So what's the lesson out of that couple there? Because unfortunately, you hear those stories too too often. Is it don't enter in or make sure you have a good contract? What, what's your advice? I, there? I think the advice there is that they didn't have a they didn't have a clear financial plan to rely back on when making those decisions. Because if they did, they would have said, no, maybe I maybe I want to enter into this as an opportunity, but. Maybe at a fifty thousand dollar level, not at a three to four hundred thousand each level. Uh, secondly, they didn't know an exit strategy, yeah. and thirdly, they were they were enamored by the promises of easy money and the huge return that was unreasonable. Yeah, if it's too good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. Yeah, well Correct. said, Chad. Those those th those are three nuggets right there. Okay. Very good. Um, last obstacle for financial success, letting feelings get in the way. Yeah, a quote by Nick Murray, investing is the age-old, never-ending emotional battle between fear of the future and faith in the future. So really, if you're an investor, if you're investing at all, you're actually demonstrating a belief that the future will be better than the present and the past. That's why you're investing. Right. And the feelings really get in the way when people are making decisions, when the market's going down a lot and when the market's going up a lot, or when a stock or investment is going up a lot or going down a lot. People really get emotionally tied into it. Or they make a decision and they say, well, I invested that and I bought it at, at X dollars per share, and therefore I'm going to wait till it gets back to that before I sell it, when really maybe that's not the right decision. So I, I just see a lot of mistakes made based on feelings and emotions, and money is emotional. You know, there's a lot yeah. of baggage. There's the blueprints you brought from your childhood of how you heard your parents speak about money in the house, and these kinds of things stick with you no matter how much, no matter if you're wealthy or not. Uh, I see people who um, there was a couple who was retired. They had over four million dollars. They had significant pension and social security and rental income extremely financially independent and the, the wife wanted to get new carpet she's like we had 30 year old shag carpet and I just want to replace the carpet it's gonna cost like eight thousand dollars and he refused to do it he was like I don't know if we can afford it and like what if we run out of money or what if this happens what if that happens and it was that scarcity blueprint yeah. from his childhood that he still had even though they had so many resources and so I, I feel like the the emotional side of the financial decision making is is a real threat, fear or greed, and that's what people usually get caught up in, and when they make big mistakes. Wow, that ties so nicely into your first idea or obstacle, or or what you should have, and that has to have clear goals. And if those decisions then are based on your goals versus the emotionality of the moment. Um, that's going to help. So, uh, Chad, really appreciate all your insights today. Any final advice? And then secondly, uh, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, my final advice is that I, I actually truly believe that 
uh, a stress-free relationship with money is possible for anyone. And it's someone asked me recently, like, when do you think is a good time to really get serious about this stuff? And I almost thought that that question is just like, when is a good time for me to start eating healthier and exercising more? (laughs) You know, it's like today or yesterday, basically. There's there's no reason to delay this. So um, I I really feel strongly about the subject that regardless of your income or your, your net worth, that your habits and your approach to your money will affect every other part of your life. So it's important to to make those changes and improvements and all of us can learn more. You know, none of us know it all. So, and where can someone find me? I'm active on LinkedIn. Um, I pacificcapital.com is our website. If you want to schedule a, a brief free consultation, a time to just talk a goals conversation where we, sh- you know, we learn about what's important to you and see if there's a fit. And then stress-free money is on Amazon. You've got the ebook. I think it's discounted right now to 99 cents, and the um, I think the, the audio book is less than three hours at regular speed. So very digestible, simple book, stress-free money on Amazon. So awesome, Chad. Really appreciate your time today and all your insights, and uh, hope that people will uh, pull out a couple of nuggets and start, as you say, today on uh, working through a stress-free future with money. So Chad, thanks very much. My pleasure. Thanks, Rick. All right. This has been another CI for Life podcast. Until next time, live a life of sustainable, continuous improvement. Goodbye.